I definitely like either on the first date or before the first date, I've been very clear that I am a stripper and is what I do. And that is not going to change because like everyone thinks it's fun to fuck a stripper. No one thinks it's fun to date a stripper. Like the gleam really runs up quickly. And then three months down the track, they're wondering why you haven't quit. Why are you still a whore? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or they like don't trust you in the strip club somehow anymore. Or they say they're okay with it. And then once you get in a fight, it's the first thing that they throw in your face. Hello, Heartbreakers. Welcome back. We are starting 2022 so strong. So thank you for your patience as I took a little bit of a break. And I'm really excited for this episode. I say that every week, but those of you who know me personally and listen to the show will definitely understand why in a second. So I have two strippers, Danica and Riley, coming on. And first of all, we're going to talk about why I refer to them as strippers, not exotic dancers, and some of the nuance there. And the reason why I say anyone who knows me personally will be very excited for me is because they know that I personally love being a patron of strip clubs. And unfortunately, I haven't been in a few years. Hopefully that changes soon. But in the past, I feel like I would go not regularly, but I just think more than maybe a typical female who isn't attracted to females would go. And so that experience has been with groups of friends. That experience has been with just my girlfriends. I dragged three of my closest girlfriends to strip clubs multiple times when we were all in New Orleans. And I've gone with exes. And I think, actually, I say exes. I've only gone with one ex, but a couple of times. And I think that was maybe one of the more interesting dynamics because on one or two occasions, we would like get a lap dance together. And I'm sure for him, it was sexual. For me, it was not sexual, but it was just like so entertaining. And I loved being able to have that interaction with the strippers and just kind of like talk to them. And I feel like I really mention in this show that I respect the game that strippers have. And I also mention the fact that I personally have experienced that. And so to give a quick story, when I went to get a joint lap dance with one of my exes, again, I don't know why I keep saying one of my exes, with my ex, we get this girl, she's super cute, super bubbly, super fun. And at one point she's like, would you ever consider being a stripper? And I was like, flattered. I was like, oh my God, she thinks I could be a stripper. That's so crazy. And then she's like, yeah, like, but I realize you probably wouldn't do that. Like you have a good life. You have a boyfriend. And I know she was doing her job. I'm like literally just a customer to me. She's probably like, this girl can't strip. Like I'm just going to say whatever because she's clearly eating it up. In hindsight, I think now that I reflect on it, I'm like, I wish she hadn't said that last part because it's like so many reasons. First of all, having a boyfriend does not equate to having a good life. Second of all, strippers can have healthy relationships. And third of all, I don't know. I just feel like it's implying that strippers just like don't have good lives. And if you're like unhappy in your current life, that's the only reason why you would want to be a stripper. And I just wanted to reflect on that because I thought it was so interesting and just fascinating to see how 
the interactions kind of like shift from customer to customer. Clearly that's like a line you could only use on a straight female who's there with her boyfriend, whether it works or not. It's like she was reading the room and pivoting her approach based on who her demographic was. I will leave it at that because we have a lot to get to with our guests, but I think you'll find that they are the perfect testament to the fact that strippers can and do have very fulfilled, satisfying lives and relationships. So with that, I will lead into the episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome back for another episode of Interstates and Heartbreak in 2022. And so the guests that I have on today, they are here to speak on a topic that has always been extremely intriguing to me. I have Danica and Riley. They are the co-hosts of 50 Plus a Tip podcast. They're two exotic dancers, and through their show, they really educate on sex work, strip club etiquette, and so much more. And I can't wait to dive in with them today. Welcome. Hi. Thank you so much for having us. Yes. Thank you, indeed. Yes. So to start, I would love if you could explain the name of your podcast, because I feel like that in itself will enlighten people about a very basic element of strip club etiquette, just right off the bat that everyone should know. Yeah. So I came up with the name 50 plus a tip because dances here where we work are $50. And whenever I'm asked like, what's a dance? I'm always saying 50 plus a tip, <laughs> like, because, you know, we live off our tips. And as the saying goes, strippers love tippers. So that's definitely (laughs) a nod to that. I love that. Yeah. And so for context, you are both based in Vancouver, correct? Vancouver, Canada. Yep. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. I visited once and loved it. And have you ever danced anywhere else or has that been your primary residence and like place of work? I've danced through Canada and other places as well. Yeah, I've just done a couple places around British Columbia. Awesome, awesome. So kind of as we dive through this discussion, I wanted to ask off the bat, do you have any preference between the terms stripper and exotic dancer? And if so, what are they? I think that, I mean, we discussed this back in an episode of 50 Plus a Tip. We had someone write in and say that exotic dancer is kind of reserved for people of color. So we typically use a stripper or adult entertainer or yeah I'm like very white passing so I don't care to like even get into the argument if I use exotic dancer and someone's like well you look white I'm like okay well I am part white part native like blah blah blah. so just like it's easier just to say stripper the only term that I avoid is peeler I hate that I know (laughs) I hate that term Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah as you shouldn't it's terrible it's um I think like more so in Toronto people say peeler which I always thought was really gross and creepy. So. I just think of like a banana like dancing around the pole. Oh, like, see, that's cute. I just think like, oh, see, that's adorable. Yeah, no, stripper is fine. Dancer, adult entertainer. Usually just the term sex worker is fine too as an umbrella term, as a nod to the fact that it is work and labor and labor rights should be brought in as well. But yeah, stripper is fine. Okay. That's good to know. And I'm already learning so much because I did not know that exotic dancers was typically associated with like dancers of color. And I love that you bring up the classification of like dancing as sex work because I'm only speaking from myself and like my level of education, but I listened to one of your recent episodes where you were citing the definition of sex work from like work, money, and duality, trading sex as a side hustle. That in itself was very enlightening. And I think that a lot of times, like for myself, I necessarily don't know if I would have even classified stripping as sex work because I think sometimes people might view it very literally as like transactional, like you are the act of sex for money. So love that you are really just kind of 
educating about like how all encompassing that term can be and like what it really relates to in terms of just like the exchange of goods for money. Yeah, I definitely akin it to trade work as well. So you could be an electrician, a plumber, a carpenter, anything like that. It's all under the umbrella of trade work and sex work. Also, having the word work in there is super important because it gives a nod to the fact that what we do is actually work. Mm -hmm. And especially as like a marginalized group, as individuals in sex work, I think it's nice to have like a unifying term because there is so much internal stigmatization as well that being a porn star or being a cam girl or being a prostitute or being an escort or being a stripper, like uniting as like, we're all sex workers, I think is, is a nice way to go about it. Yeah. I love that. So really to dive into why I was so excited to have you both on. So I personally, I feel like on this podcast, I haven't discussed my interest in strip clubs that in depth, but I personally love them. Like ever since the first time I went to a strip club, I fell in love with them for like two specific reasons. And so one is the dynamics of the club. And I feel like for people who haven't visited, you might not know, like there's so much to kind of take in from like the interactions between the customers and the workers, like seeing the wide array of people who are in attendance and like the relationship of people who like might come together. And then also just respect for the dancers. Like obviously there's so much technical skill demonstrated like on stage. But even just respect for like the interpersonal relationships that you have to manage as you're dealing with customers and like just getting people to feel like they're really special and giving that individualized attention and like really understanding people's individual needs. And I can even say for myself, like as a woman who is not attracted to women, like I went and I feel like I felt like I was even being gamed in a sense, but in a positive way, I was like, wow, I just feel like so seen right now, even though I know that I am just a customer to her. So really love that. And so I'm really excited to kind of like hear both of your perspectives of what that's like and some of the difficulties associated that people might not really think about on the other side of things. Mm -hmm. We're excited to break it down with you. (laughs) Yes. So I guess to start off, when did you both start dancing and how did you kind of get into it? So I started dancing eight years ago now but I am forever 21. (laughs) (laughs) If anyone's asking, I never age. And I was out in Fort Mac, which is in Alberta. It's like Northern Alberta, where it's big, like oil town. There's a lot of money. Lovingly call men that work out there, typically men that work out there, rig pigs. And they make like a lot of money on the oil rigs. And I went out there with an ex-partner of mine and I was serving at a strip club out there and I was making really good money as a server. But I got on with the dancers really well. I found they were a lot more welcoming than the other servers were. And one of my girlfriends who was dancing said, you know, you should, you should dance. I grew up competitively dancing, so I was already comfortable being on a stage. And the outfits we were wearing as servers were pretty much <laughs> non-existent <laughs> anyways. So she's like, you're already pretty comfortable with your body and dancing. You know, you can make like triple the money, quadruple 10 times dancing. So then I just was like, okay, let's do it. And then kept going ever since. Never looked back. <laughs> Never looked back. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like an easy decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was good. Fort Mac was like a really good place to start out there. I had more of a gradual transition into sex work, I think. It was sort of proposed to me by a friend of mine in the city who used to work for a company that did topless poker dealing and topless hostessing and things like that for, I don't know, golf caddies, uh, bachelor parties, that type of thing. And so I stopped doing that and I didn't really consider myself a stripper at that point, even though I was giving lap dances and sometimes doing a strip show until kind of the end of it. Like I was like, I'm just a topless poker dealer. Like that's all I am. 
And then I became friends with a lot of strippers and I was like, okay, like this is something that I really enjoy and I really like the girls. And so one of my friends who I met through that agency got me a job at the local strip club. Hmm, Okay. So as you kind of think back to maybe your first night ever working in a strip club as a stripper, was there anything that stood out? Did you have anything where it's like, oh, you know, you were kind of comfortable with it. Clearly you had a lot of close acquaintances who were also strippers. So it wasn't like you were being thrown in blind, but maybe any things that were surprising about that first experience or first couple experiences? I think for me, it's always surprising how much they really don't give a fuck. <laughs> Are you allowed to swear on your podcast? <laughs> yes, absolutely. Everything goes. They really don't be giving no fucks about dancers when you come in. They'll be like, oh yeah, you're hired. You're working on Tuesday. Like make us some money. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they just like, they hopefully know how to dance. So I was very lucky. Like you said, I had already close acquaintances that were dancers. So my first shift, my girlfriend was like, well, just like follow me around. I'll just like sell all the dances with you and we can do all the dances together and you can mimic my moves and see what moves work for me. So I was very lucky in that sense. But I always like, even to this day, when I see new dancers come in, they just look like deers in headlights. I'm like, that sucks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they oh really like, there's no like, no, there's like no training process. And then even just like with the rules of the, the strip club rules change so much from club to club that when you go in, you're kind of just like, mimicking what you see around you and hoping that you're not like misstepping. So that always surprises me even to this day when I see when I go to a new club and I'm like, ain't nobody telling nothing. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I can't even imagine like I've always worked office jobs. So I'm like, okay, we have like an orientation, like here's the training, like here's everyone you need to know, like here's a guide. I'm like, I can't even imagine just being thrown in with nothing. Yeah, that surprised me. And like I said, like I was very lucky that I got to like kind of like go under the wing of my friend and be like, help me. But that, and then obviously like the amount of money you can make the first time, I think every stripper says this, like the first time you get that much cash in your hands, you're like, holy shit, <laughs> I'll never go back. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's very life changing to have like that much cash at the end of a shift. And then when I worked, cause I did paralegal as well, when I was going through my, my university degrees, and it always like kills me having to wait like two weeks for that money to come. And I was like, I just worked eight hours. Where are my yeah. money at? And then they'd be yeah. like, you'll get it in two weeks. I'd be like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. You're like, oh my God. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sort of had the like opposite thing as you. I also actually went in with the girlfriend who got me the job for my first shift. But I was definitely surprised at still a leap from the agency like poker dealing thing that I, I worked for and the strip club because at the agency, you didn't take off your underwear for a lap dance. And for the strip club here, you do. It's like fully nude. And so I remember the first time I did a lap dance with my girlfriend and I was like so shy taking my underwear off. I was like, oh, like not bending over. And now I'm like, Mm -hmm. here's my vulva. Look at it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But I definitely started working at a time that was, I mean, definitely not in the oil rigs. Like you always kind of hear about how the good old days. Great. Yeah, great those <laughs> days were. But I remember like holding a couple of like hundred dollars in my hand and I was like, I'm rich. Yes. Like I'm gonna like I'm gonna buy everything for my like I'm gonna move out of my own. I'm gonna buy a home with this two hundred dollars. That must be like so empowering. Like there really isn't quite that rush when you have a direct deposit, I will say. No, unless they're in like, you know, like the six figure direct deposit. I I feel that rush. (laughs) I 
I wish I could say I was there, but not quite yet. So maybe one day I'll feel that rush. (laughs) (laughs) So in addition to kind of like Riley, you mentioned that the first time you like took off your underwear, there was some reservation and now it's like no holds barred. How have you both evolved professionally and like in your demeanor and your practices over the years of dancing? (laughs) I think we both got a little bit bitter. (laughs) We got real bitter, (laughs) real mean. (laughs) No, No, but it is true. Like you, the limited time I have for nonsense is like unsurpassed. Like I'll literally be in the club. I think also just comes with like the practice of being in the in that situation for so long, your skill at being able to pinpoint where money probably is and isn't is gets very good. So my girlfriends would be like, oh, do you want to approach this tail with me? And I'll look and be like, ooh, nah. (laughs) That's all you. (laughs) Like I'm all the way no on that. But you like your hustle ideally should get better and you should be able to make more money in less time. I'm big on working smarter, not harder. And yeah, that's definitely like how my hustle has improved. Just like I don't waste time. I've never actually really ever in my like eight years of dancing wasted time talking to people. I'm just not the girlfriend experience. I'm like, you want to dance or not? <laughs> I'm never, I'm never, I do not have the time to sit down. I don't drink. So like, I'm going to have to get these fake drinks going. I'm going to have to get fake drunk with you. Like this is like, I don't have the time for it. So um, <laughs> yeah, like you want to dance? No, like your friend want to dance? No, you want to just give me money? No, <laughs> like, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But no, I think that's how my you just kind of like can pinpoint, yeah, where money is. I think or your selling game just gets stronger if you take the job seriously, right? Like there are individuals that come into sex work and it's they think it's like just fast money, and I say it's fast money, not easy money. I think that's like the truest statement for sex work. It can be fast money. It's not always easy money. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you just, yeah, hone on your own skills, I guess. Yeah, I think for a job that is 90% rejection, I would say my confidence and my need for like, or my, I guess, my not my need for validation. Validation has gone up. Like, I don't need no man to think I'm cute. Mm-mm. I don't need nothing. <laughs> yeah. I never really thought about it like that. Cause I feel like from my perspective, I'm like, oh my God, like who would reject them? But obviously it's like, I totally get that's the silly thing to say because everyone has their own specific preferences and people might not be in the mood for a dance, a whole number of factors. But I love that you brought up the fact that it's like, there is rejection. And so your self-confidence has to go up because I feel like one of the things I talk about on this show a lot is being a female who dates men. A lot of times there's like this question of like, should I approach him? And like, is he going to think it's weird? Is he going to think it's too forward? So like in your own personal dating lives, do you feel like since dancing, like you've become more comfortable, like approaching men who you find attractive in your just like personal life? Okay. Well, first we also think like who the hell wouldn't buy us by dances from us. So we are also flabbergasted when we get to know. And your second problem there is finding men attractive. Like that's, you need to fix that. No, uh, like we're both like with people, so we don't need to like approach people. Okay. And I never really was single from much of my life. I've always kind of been in like long-term relationships, but I'm also just like someone like even on the, mm-hmm. instead of thinking of attractiveness as like, I want to fuck you eventually. Like I have no problem when I'm in public and I see someone who I think like they have a great outfit on or a man, I can smell mm-hmm. his cologne. I'll, I'll like have no problem being like, oh, your, your cologne smells great on you. And then like, hope you have a wonderful day. But I just think that it comes down to me just like, it's nice to make feel, people feel nice. But I think like, I agree with Riley where it's like, 
even when we were sending you photos, we were kind of going back and forth. And I was like, honestly, I was like crap in this one. But like, do I really give a shit what people on the internet think if I'm attractive or not? I fund my entire life on people finding something attractive about me. So I'll take that hit. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I have dated. I have dated in the industry. <laughs> and yeah, I'm with a, an amazing partner now. But I would say that my confidence has definitely gone up when it comes <laughs> to like approaching people. Maybe not so much like, going after them, but just being very clear about what I want, what I don't want and who I am. Mm-hmm. I think like a big thing we strive for is just, I mean, myself specifically, like one of my like kind of like life mottos is being like unapologetically yourself. And as long as you're like a decent person, if you're a shit person, work all that for sure. But like, <laughs> <laughs> no, don't do that. Don't do that. But yeah, I think like Riley and I both know we're great people and <laughs> the best, the best people. And I think that's, you just develop really thick skin in the club. Like, like Riley said, like mm-hmm. all like the rejection that I've heard other people get. <laughs> <laughs> not firsthand experience. Definitely not. <laughs> I've never once heard a no in my life. <laughs> but yeah, you just get, you just, it's a them, them problem. You can like disassociate from those no's, I think. And like you said, like people have preferences. Like if maybe, you know, Riley rocks her short hair at, at a gig or at the club and then they say no, but they would have said yes to her if she was wearing a wig that day. Do you know what I mean? Like it's that. I have short hair. <laughs> it's that small, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, totally. That makes sense. And I also love what you said about it feels nice to make people feel good because I feel like oftentimes people can get very in their heads of like, oh no, this person is going to freak out if I hit on them. But it's like if you're just kind of approaching them with a compliment then even if they're not interested, it's not going to like ruin their day. They're not going to be like, get away from me. It's like all about how you approach it and like the energy that you're giving off. So love that. If you're a straight cis white man listening to this podcast, that comment is not for you. Do not come up and compliment Don't even look my way. (laughs) (laughs) Don't even look in my direction, cis white man. (laughs) Slide it across to us and then run the fuck away. (laughs) Wrapped in a (laughs) hundred dollars. Key distinction, key distinction. So I guess for each of your respective clubs, what made you choose the club that you currently dance at? Mostly because my friend got me the job there. And then I made friends with a bunch of the dancers. And then the club that I work at is definitely more, I guess, in quotes, classier. I wouldn't say it's actually classier, but like the outfits that we're required to wear are like sort of more Victoria's Secrets than like your typical strip club. And it's a bit more like, girlfriend experience which kind of fits my hustle a little bit better okay interesting I've worked at like a few clubs in the city and the one I've stuck with is just because the manager is a really good friend of mine and we just like get on like a house on fire and that's a huge thing is getting on with who you work with and I just like really love the girls I found the girls at that club very much more approachable and wanting to hustle together and then also I found like their energy is a lot more like the Fort Mac energy where I was working originally because they just, they're all about their money in a sense where they're like, they know how to pound out dances. They know how to like sell a dance. They like, they, they have like these monetary goals. I find like, there's like very much like more of like hustler mentality at that club, as opposed to like, let me sit and talk to you for an hour and like tell you my life story. Like I just, like, I'm just not yeah. about it. So like, yeah, yeah I, I think that's like why I like that club. Like I like, I'm a very competitive person. So I found like that kind of like how many dances can I get tonight? How much money can I make tonight? I find that like gets me excited and pumped. Yeah. It's like you're trying to set a PR every shift. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
I would say actually the club that I work at, you can sell time, which is the biggest thing I find is good for me, which is probably the biggest reason I stick around is like Danica jokes, like, I'm not going to sit sit and talk to you for an hour and tell you my life story. Like I'm going to, and I'm going to charge you for it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, that's only fair because it's like the time you spend talking is time you're not dancing and potentially getting money elsewhere. So that makes total sense. Yeah. And I think a lot of people don't realize that we're independent contractors. We aren't paid hourly. We pay to be at the clubs, right? So if a dancer comes up to you and she's like, hey, do you want to go for a dance? And you're like, no, can you come sit? And they go like, oh, well, will you tip me? It's because them sitting you is literally costing them money. Um, people get tend to get offended, I think, when people say that. But it's we're not making money sitting on our, on our asses talking to you. Like We're not an hourly paid worker. And we're already in a deficit the minute we walk in the door because we've paid a floor fee, which can be anywhere from, you know, 50 to $300 depending on where you're working. Okay. So I feel like a lot of people probably don't know that. And so I think it's really important to get that message out there to be like, don't take it personally. It's like, it is a business. And so of course, dancers have to do what makes sense financially for them. And I would love to hear more about like what the dynamics are in terms of like, as you have other coworkers who you might have to like tip or pay out for like any earnings, like what is that like? Just so people can kind of get a sense of what the balance is and like what the actual structure is like in that sense. Yeah. Well, you know, the podcast is called 50 plus a tip as Danica said, because dances are $50, but the tip is really important because we don't work, walk out with that $50. We're not getting a hundred percent of the money that we're getting for dances. We're paying over 30. 30% over 30%, almost 40%, 40%. out. Most clubs oh, here are 40% okay. you're tipping out. Wow. Yeah. Tip is huge then. That's really interesting. Yeah. And then you're also playing your floor fee. You're also often tipping out DJs, tipping out waitresses, tipping out your backroom guard or your backroom person. There's typically like, depending on the club you work at, there could be upwards of like five different people you have to tip out. Wow. Yeah. On top of the 40% tip out, you're already tipping out. Yeah. I imagine that adds up. Yeah. yeah so it does add up for sure. So without throwing any specific locations under the bus, like were there ever previous clubs that you left because you didn't feel like it was a good fit maybe it had bad vibes or it just didn't necessarily mesh with your personal style of work? Most of my club moves have just been because I've taken advantage of working while traveling. So it's not that I didn't like a club. I've never quit a club. I've just gone temporarily for a short amount of time. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. You say same for me. I've never, I've never quit a club really. It's more so I've like stopped going to a club if I've like taken a hiatus off work. And then when I go back to dance, I'm like, oh, maybe I'll try this club or maybe I'll travel to this one. And yeah. I've never like left a club with like a bad taste in my mouth. I mean, there might be people there that I'm like, mm, I don't fuck with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Individual based. Oh. Yeah. But that's every job everywhere. Very true. Very true. And I love that you touched on that because I know it sounds like you've both been like fortunate to have good relationships with like the other dancers you've worked with. And I would love to hear like, you kind of mentioned on a previous episode that there is somewhat of a hierarchy when it comes to like, oh, if you're new, you kind of have to work to like earn the respect of the other dancers. Like you need to show respect to them because of seniority. So I'd love to hear kind of like how frequent is it to develop close relationships with the other women you dance with? And are there any other hierarchical dynamics that come into play? Yeah, I think in like my generation of dancers, that was very common where if you were new at the club, you like kept yourself as you should is what the mentality was. And like you haven't earned the right to take up space 
in the change room. Like if you were a new girl and you put like your bat your bag on the counter, an older dancer would probably like shove it off and be like, no, like you're not getting space in this change room. You just got here. Um, you're not getting a locker. Mm-hmm. And I remember when like one of my girlfriends first started dancing, I'd been dancing for like three years this time and she came into the club and she was standing there and I hadn't met her yet. She was standing there and she was just like, had this big smile on her face. And I like walked up to her. I was like, I was like, stop, by, stop smiling. You look so fucking new. And I remember like years later, she was like, that was the best advice. Like I looked so like easy to take advantage of by customers. Cause I was just so like bright eyed, bushy tailed. And I was like, you need to like fake it till you make it. So, but it's like rare that a veteran dancer is even going to like offer you that. Cause like a lot of us learn things the hard way. Right. Like, but that's also, like I said, like kind of a little bit of an archaic mentality. I see like a lot of the young girls now, they like bounce into the change room like loud and like their first day. And I'm like, right? I'm like, nobody's going to check her. Like, God damn. But that's okay. <laughs> I was in the change room at my club the other day and we were all just, no one plays music in the, in the change room. Like it's considered rude because like, and in my club anyway, because like you just want it to be quiet. Like you're about to go and spend couple hours with thumping music around you and then same at the end of the night like do not play music I think Um, sorry to interrupt you I don't think it's about like me in the quiet it's just like in public domains like if you're on a bus with people you wouldn't like play your music or your podcast without your headphones right it's just like you'd be surprised yeah like don't impose your stuff on other people right so I think that's another reason why it's kind of like a a rule in the change room of like no one wants to listen to your like whatever shit music you listen to yeah <laughs> i don't know it's also just like you're not expected to have a conversation like it's your moments of peace before you have to go and like talk to a shit ton of people downstairs and we're all like silently like and reluctantly like putting on our mascara and our blush and like lipsticks and like getting the final touches ready and this new girl like comes in she's like oh my god like hi guys like make trying to crack all these like little joke she's just like bouncing from wall to wall asking us questions like telling us her name asking our names and like I went up being polite about it but she like bounces down to go downstairs and I was like I fucking remember my first night too (laughs) like (laughs) everyone was just like oh (laughs) I was gonna say so maybe it's not that outdated that old dancers hate the new one (laughs) it wasn't that it was just like she's gonna like I give her alive honestly I give her a fucking week Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I was literally going to ask like, how long would you say it takes for that like new dancer sheen to wear off and for you to kind of get like a little, I don't want to say hardened, but like to your point, just like not as like bright eyed about everything and kind of like more aware of what the experience is really like. I think that's such an independent thing. Like I was never bright eyed and naive. Like I've always been someone with like very thick skin. So I already kind of had like a hard exterior when I first came in. And the girlfriends I aligned myself with were also like that kind of personality. So I think we all were kind of like not that bouncing off walls kind of person. And then you see some girls, they've been in the industry for a while and they're still clueless. And you're like, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's really individual. But I think like the first time someone like really checks you, like I don't know if it happens as much anymore, but like the veteran dancers before, if you were to like act wrong, like you'd get called out real quick and they would be like, let's take a step outside real quick. Oh my God. That's so <laughs> but, scary. <laughs> I don't know if that but I also, I also like, yeah, like I started in like a little bit of a rougher town maybe, mm-hmm. but I think now I think you would just have to like have some kind of self-awareness eventually like that either people don't really talk to you or you're not selling as many dances or if something's not working right. Um, and then maybe you slowly become friends with someone and they are kind enough to like correct you and be like, Hey, like maybe don't like, talk so much in the change room or don't play your music or 
Yeah. I think you just kind of like pick up on the general side eyes. Yeah. Of it. <laughs> like if the dancer's coming over and like, like throwing a drink in your face because you're taking customers from Perv Row, like maybe you'll learn. You'll you learn know? quick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a tough lesson, but you have to learn at some point, some way. Yeah. And honestly, like some people just aren't cut out for the industry. I would say I lost my shine. I say like the baby stripper year is like the year that you're supposed to make the easiest money because people do sense that you're new and they're like, oh, perfect. Like she's so adorable or like it kind of, they're like, maybe I can take advantage of her, but also like, oh, sort of like a pity money type thing. Like she doesn't really know what she's doing. And then I would say like after a year, you got to be good at the game. Otherwise you're just not going to be cut out for it. Yeah. And I guess like, does that apply to stage dances as well? Cause I imagine like with stage dances, it's directly correlated with skill only. So like having that like newness and like innocence, I feel like wouldn't necessarily translate to more tips, but would love to hear your perspective on that. I gotta stop you right there. (laughs) (laughs) It used to be like back in the day, like you were not getting on stage unless you didn't have like at least five full costumes, like pre-made, like for you. You had your own like stage set ready. You had like a theme for your stuff. Like you had a whole like story to tell. They used to be like really good for stage girls. It's still like that at my club, I would say about 90%. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it is true. Like, like there are gonna... some girls that go on stage and you're like, wow, like, you take this seriously. You have a lot of respect for the job. Like their, whether it be their pole skills or just their floral skills or the way they interact with the clients and the customers in per bro, like they know how to put on a show. And then some girls are just doing it because the agency, like with their agency, they have to be on stage. So you can tell they're just like getting through the songs. Got it. Yeah. But I think that's like any job, like there's some people that take their job really seriously and are very skilled in their job. And there's some, it's like, how'd you get hired? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. That's true. Happens everywhere. And in places like Australia and stuff, every girl who's on the floor, like in, well, where I work anyway, you have stage girls, which for my club are the ones doing like pole tricks, uh, hoop, silks, uh, fire breathing, like it's the works. And then you have VIP girls, which is what I do, which is just lap dances and selling time. And then in places like Australia and New Zealand, if you're on the floor, you have to do your like little half a set. So like girls who may be okay at like schmoozing or lap dances and now getting on a stage and have never touched a pole in their goddamn life and they have to like figure it out. So I don't know. I would say it's hit or miss. Yeah. Things differentiate like a lot between places. Like I know New York is like that too. Some places in New York, you have to like, every person has to go on stage at one point just kind of like showcase themselves. And then there's a thing in like, places like Winnipeg and believe it's called jamming where you like have to go on stage and then you have to like drive to the next club, go on stage, drive to the next club, go on stage. Oh, wow. Yeah. It's just, it's crazy how much differentiation there's between like each club. Yeah. That is really interesting. And I feel like even something you mentioned earlier about the fact that like there's full nudity and there's also alcohol, like here in the U S at least in California, I don't think you can have full nudity if there's alcohol served. So there's so many variations, like region to region. Yeah. And like, we have like certain rules, I guess, kind of with alcohol and nudity in the sense where like, we can't be nude on the main floor. You're fully clothed when you're selling dances. And then once you go to the back room to sell a dance, they can't bring their alcohol with them to the back room. So there's that, but then there's in like the champagne room, you can have alcohol and nudity. So it's like, (laughs) you know, there's like, I remember in Alberta, there was a lot of like bizarre rules. I remember the one time there was a rule where like, if you danced on stage with two women, you could get naked together, but you couldn't take each other's clothes off. 
What? I was like, what? <laughs> like, there's a lot of like random rules with like the liquor and gambling licenses. But, and that goes down to like when you're new and you're just like, someone can just give me a rule book because like, <laughs> yeah. you don't know it until you fuck up. And then someone's like, yeah, tells yeah. you. And there's one club around here that has zero alcohol and then you can go in a year. Like the drinking age here is 19 and I think you can go there when you're 18. Yeah. So like the dancers there can be younger. The patrons can be younger because yeah, there's just like a juice bar pretty much. Okay. Juice bar and titties. Yeah. <laughs> juice and titties. <laughs> what a fun whole Juice and <laughs> Don't make me say it's a juice and milk bar. Oh, oh no. <laughs> there actually was a pregnant woman there, a pregnant dancer. Yeah. Oh, no. So if she didn't use that line of juice and titties, that's a yeah. shame. Yeah. Wow. Missed opportunity. That's amazing. Or juice and milk. Yeah. <laughs> So Danica, since you mentioned the champagne room, do all clubs technically have a champagne room for like a certain price? Or is that something where it's like certain clubs just stray away from it entirely? Only certain clubs have a champagne room. And that kind of goes hand in hand with what Riley's saying that her club allows selling for time because that's where you would go. If you sold the time, you'd go into the champagne room. It's kind of like your own little private party, which I do like that is very tantalizing about Riley's club for sure, because it's a good way to make money selling time. I do think that's definitely an advantage that her club has over the other ones for both the dancers and the patrons. But no, not all clubs do. And then certain clubs, even with the selling time aspect, there's a lot of variation in that. For example, one club I worked at, if you sat with a customer for more than five minutes, you would get fired because the club isn't making money off you, right? Like it's all a business. It's all like monetary goals. So like if you're just sitting there chatting someone's ear off, you're just, you know, they're not making the money. So that was one rule. And then another one was that you had to charge them per time when you're sitting at the table. Another one was that you can't charge them time when you're sitting at the table. And then I know Riley's club does have like, you can take them to the champagne room and charge um, half hour, hour, et cetera. Yeah. That makes sense that like, you're not making that money if you're just sitting around. And I just had a conversation with one of my guy friends. He, so I live in like Southern California. He went to a bachelor party and they had one night in Tijuana. And he was saying like, he bought a bucket of beer and he was like, yeah, it was just 5 to $8. And for the duration of the time that the bucket was there, like the girls would dance on you. And I was like, what? I was like, that is insane. Like that is so financially like detrimental to them. I just couldn't believe it. And so I just think it's really interesting. And I think it raised, we had like this whole discussion where he was like, yeah, I don't usually go to strip clubs. The guys I was with were like very into it, but like I loved it. And I didn't know that it would have such an effect on me. But then being in Tijuana, like there's always the question of like, was it a club where it's like completely ethical? And so I guess like one question I have, like for anyone who's like, I want to go to the strip club, I want to enjoy it. I want to support the dancers, but I'm like concerned about like the ethics of a specific club. Are there any ways to distinguish clubs that like treat the dancers better than others or like provide fair wage, anything like that, that you could provide to listeners? Hmm. I don't know necessarily on the patron side of things as like an outsider looking in how you would know the inner workings of a club, right? Because you're not in the back room, you're not at the staff meetings or, you know, whatever. But I, I would look at it kind of similar to like servers, like servers here get paid. Well, back when I was serving, it was $7 an hour and no one can live on $7 an hour, especially in Vancouver where like the average rental is what, like 2,500 right now for an apartment. Like it's crazy. Oh, wow. yeah. So they do like just like of a server when you're going to a restaurant, like they do really live off your tip. So like just tip your servers, tip your dancers. If you're going on stage, like stage sets don't get paid a lot. I think last time I was doing stage, it was like 40 bucks a show. So you're not making a lot off that money either. So if you're going to sit there and enjoy a stage set, 
give the girls money, but I don't, I don't really know if you were like on the outside looking in how you acknowledge it. But from my experience, and I've been in the industry a long time, I've come across a lot of different clubs, a lot of different workers. I would say it's like 0.2% of all of the people I've encountered that are there like begrudgingly. Like, mo- well, I mean, we're all like working begrudgingly, let's be honest. <laughs> like, the whole, the whole world. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would say like every woman I've encountered in the industry is there of their own, their own free will. I've never encountered any kind of like pimping in the clubs here and that. So no, we do come from a very like privileged mm-hmm. area from sex work. Like we've never had to go to work. We've never been able to not turn down money that made us uncomfortable. We've always been off street. So like we definitely, and like I'm a cis white female as well. Like I have to recognize my privilege in that as well. And so from where I stand in a privilege point of view, I'm not really sure. I think that the best thing you can do as a patron is to kind of like be aware of your surroundings. Like if girls are dancing on you for seven or eight dollars while you have a bunch of beer, like maybe tip them a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. maybe try and close that gap if it isn't ethical. If you're in other places, just, you know, like ask your dancer, like how much of this money do you get to keep? And then like fill that gap or how much money do you have to pay to be here? Fill that gap. You know, it's like, you know, that servers tip out um, to other staff. That's just kind of common knowledge. No one really teaches you that when it comes to strip clubs. Most dancers, if you ask them and they think that you're going to tip them that, like most of them will be honest about it. You know, they'll be happy. They're not going to be mad that you asked. Yeah. I love that. I think it's a great way to kind of make sure that you're just not contributing to a problem of like underpayments and just being proactive about that. Yeah. Like it's, you can't see it as just like a cheap deal. You have to think, okay, well, at least the tip does something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So one thing I wanted to bring up is like modern representation and just media representation overall of dancing. And I feel like I can think back to two recent portrayals of like dancing that I feel like were acclaimed actors or performances. And I loved like Hustlers and Zola. Those are the two that come to mind initially. But the fact that I loved it as someone who's like outside of the industry, I realized might be completely different from your perspective. So I wanted to ask like, if you've seen those movies and if so, like, how do you feel like they actually align with the experience of working as a dancer? Yes, I have watched both. (laughs) (laughs) Hustlers is like notoriously one that square people, non-sex workers bring up. I think it super glamorizes the industry as if it's all like fast and easy money, which it's not. Also, I remember me and Riley and some of our other friends went and we watched it. And I just remember when like JLo went on the pole or whatever the hell she tried to do (laughs) and everyone was like throwing money. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am, you would get fired so quick if you were that bad on stage. Like her... Like the whole set she did was so subpar that I was like, this is so cringe to watch. Like it was so bad. And I'm like, only because you're JLo. Like, and this is like a very like glamorized movie, but anyone else would be like, get the hell off stage. Um, that, and then two, I think it perpetuates the very dangerous stigma that we're all scammers, that we're all like seedy people. And that also perpetuates violence against sex workers. If you're painting someone as evil and, you know, scammy, people think it's justified to do terrible things to those people. So when you're putting out a lot of movies, they're like, oh, all sex workers and strippers drug and steal from their clients. It makes it a lot harder for the majority of us who are not at all like that, because now that's how everyone looks at Mm -hmm. us. And we all get painted with that same really toxic and dangerous brush. 
Um, so that was a big issue I had with hustlers. Yeah. I would jump to Zola after Riley talks. <laughs> I think a lot of the media portrayal is either they paint us as like the villains or the victims. And mm-hmm. there's no like we're sort of in between that we actually exist. And either it's just like very, it's demeaning to the point that it's like people then think that every sex worker ever is trafficked or it's like glamorizing and doesn't give credit to the amount of work and skills it actually takes to be in this industry. And then it's kind of the other things too, like by my knowledge, and if I'm wrong, like absolutely call me out on this, but I don't believe that JLo and well, I say JLo, but like the team of hustlers paid for those dancers and the strip club staff for the club that they filmed at to take the time off that was required. So no, they're out money. I don't know. I could be wrong, but like, I didn't see, I tried to look it up. I couldn't see anything of it. Like I, but then, you know, she goes to, was it the Super Bowl that she did her pole dancing? Yes. So she's now like twofold taking, living off this, the stigma and everything that else that had like a sex worker has had to live through and is just profiting on it without any of the stigma. Cause she's JLo and everyone's talking about how wonderful it is. And it was the same with the Bella Thorne thing. Like it, then we all seem like scammers because she fucked over OnlyFans. And I know other people who have been in strip club or stripping movies and have come to strip clubs and then like not tipped anything. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so you've profited of the stories of our community and have done nothing for us. Mm-hmm. And I think that like, that is the part that really like irks a lot of us. And I love that you brought up the fact that it is kind of one of two extremes, because I do feel like that is the go-to of like, it's easy storytelling. I feel like it's, it really doesn't paint like the nuanced identities that like you can have as a dancer, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Definitely. At the end of 50 plus step episodes, I usually ask people if you had 30 seconds, what would you say to like the world? If you had the world's attention for 30 seconds, what would you say? And a lot of the time people were just like, that sex work is work and that we're all just people. And like, I think that's like, it's such a basic concept that people really struggle with is that like sex workers are literally like your neighbors, your, you know, like the girl in your yoga class with you, the, you know, we're not this caricature that media really paints us out to be. And that's like a big takeaway as well. For Zola, I believe that one was based off her tweets in 2000, 2015, 2016, something like that. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. We're actually going to be reviewing it on our podcast in season five, but oh, and I'm that's exciting. ahead of the class, always eager. So I already watched it, <laughs> but I had mixed feelings about it. I, again, as Riley said, we speak from a place of privilege. I'm white passing and Riley is white as can be. And we are in a pretty, you know, we're in like Vancouver, Canada. We're off street sex workers in strip clubs. You know, we're educated, all that stuff, right? So I don't know how much we can speak on the experiences of someone who, in essence, is getting trafficked by and set up by a friend and her pimp, which is kind of the, the backstory of it. I don't know how true that, that aspect of it is for women who, who go through that. Zola does, well, in the show, they present that this white John comes in and he looks at Zola and he's like, I ordered a white girl. That nod to the racism in the industry is very, very true and accurate. There is a lot of racism in the industry. I mean, there's racism everywhere, but it, for some reason, because I think people don't see us as humans, they have even less of a problem 
being like, I want a white bitch. I don't want this. Like even for myself, I have told a story before on the podcast because of like the way I look, people mistake me for every other ethnicity than I am. And a lot of times think I'm Persian. I get that a lot. And I was going for a dance with a, a Persian guy and he was speaking Farsi to me. I don't speak Farsi. It's what it's a language common in, in Persia or for Persians. And I was like, Oh, I don't speak, I don't speak Farsi. And then he was like, well, what are you? And I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm part native. And he's like, Oh, you're a chug. And I was like, Whoa. Okay, sir, we're done here. <laughs> I was like, I'm gonna keep your wow. money because you're a racist piece of shit. Yeah. But thanks for coming. So yeah, there's a lot of like of that for like a lot of different ethnicities, either they're completely dismissed as like undesirable, or if you're fitting a certain like frame for that ethnicity, then it's attractive. Or if you're like, we used to see a lot of like fetishizations, especially of like Asian women. So yeah, that I think was a very true, that very small part of the show where he makes that comment. I was like, yep, that sounds like a cis white middle-aged man. <laughs> that sounds about right. Yeah. I just found an article from Yahoo and a Yahoo article. And it says uh, strip club employees have hit back New Zealand for Lawrence mo- uh, movie hustlers saying that they were not offered any compensation after its location was shut down for filming. And it was quoted saying, I worked where they filmed and was out of commission a whole week, no compensation of any kind. She doesn't care about dancers. That's why I'm not seeing her moving. Wow. That's really disappointing. Yeah. Disappointing, but not surprising. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. And it's also interesting that it's like these two examples that I was able to pull up, like they play into exactly what you were saying. It's like one of two stories, right? Where it's like, it's super glamorous. And like, we're going to show like that aspect of it and like the furs and like making it rain versus someone who's being trafficked and has no control over their situation. It's like, there's such extremes, but they're the two, I think, most prominent movies depicting dancers' lives in like recent years. So just interesting. Mm-hmm. We always say like, if there was really a camera that followed us around and saw like the true workings of a sex worker and like the day-to-day stuff, you would turn it off so fast. Like my life is so boring. You know what I mean? Like I go, <laughs> like we have like the, like the outliers where it's like, you know, a guy drinks your pee or something, you know, that is, I guess, a little weird. And sometimes like me and Riley will be in a situation like that and I'll look to her and I'll be like, what is life? Like, you know, like the fact that this is now normal to yeah. us is maybe a little concerning. I don't know. Like 90% of our time is us just like wearing hoodie and sweatpants and like binging Netflix and then getting ready for work at nine o'clock. You know, mm-hmm. like that's, that's mm-hmm. pretty much the extent of like what sex work actually looks like for yeah. people in our position. <laughs> yeah. My God. What a juxtaposition, like someone drinking your pee versus like watching Netflix. <laughs> right. And that's what we always joke about. We're like, we'll have like a wild night the night before. And then the next day we're like, I don't know doing something super unglamorous and like mm-hmm. just boring. And then we'll be like, if the clients from last night could see us now, like it would just ruin their image, you know? <laughs> oh my God. It's like that joke of like when you're sexting with a guy and he's like, what are you wearing right now? And you're like in your sweats and you're just like, you make some shit up. And it's like, nothing about what I'm doing is sexy, but like in his mind, you're doing like the sexiest thing, lounging in lingerie, because of course that's what every woman does when she's alone. A hundred percent. That's exactly like even at a club when I'm like walking around and the guy's like, Oh, do you work her? I'm like, no, this is my going out outfit. Like, like what? you <laughs> and then yeah. like sometimes because I said I am better, I'll be like, Yeah, fucking idiot. Like, <laughs> then, but then it works off well me. Like some men like me being a royal bitch. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. So at this stage, like, is there anything that could happen where you're like, wow, this is shocking? Because I mean, like to your point, I feel like to some people, they might 
think like someone drinking your pee is shocking, but to your point, it's like, oh yeah, like it happens, you move <laughs> past it and then you have your everyday life. <laughs> what would I be shocking. I'd be shocked by if a guy came into the club, gave us all a very respectable amount of money and wasn't a creep and then just left. That would shock me. <laughs> <laughs> it is truly shocking when men know how to behave full yeah. stop. <laughs> like that is shocking. <laughs> Truly. That's <laughs> fair. Yeah. yeah. That every customer in the club that night acted right, you know? Oh, man, that would be <laughs> shocking. I would retire. I'd be like, this is the night. I'm <laughs> I just want to end it on this high note. What would surprise me? Oh, yeah, gosh. honestly, something like that. Like, it sounds so like a joke, but like, that would surprise me. We're mostly surprised when we have a client who like is just like a dog. D- yeah, dope <laughs> and generous. And like, we had. The client in the champagne room, the French gentleman. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) We had so much fun. Like, me and Riley, we try to work a lot together. So, like, we end up, we do private parties as well. So, we, like, we try to book for private parties a lot together. So, we were doing this, like, private party. And we were like, let's, like, do you know what a champagne room is? Like, let's go into the champagne room. It's obviously just, like, another room in the house. (laughs) But we, like, you know, like, jazz up. It's, like, it's our private room. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, it's, like, kind of like a makeshift champagne room. (laughs) He was just like very intoxicated and very fun. And he just kept being like, we're going to take, he's like, we should go to Mexico tomorrow. And then we'd be like, Mexico. <laughs> and we would all like scream and then like dance in a circle. And like, <laughs> it was so like obnoxious that it was like. And truly like we were dancing around on this pole and uh, he would like come up to like try and like, you know, like touch us or whatever. And would like joke, I say jokingly. We, we were serious. <laughs> we would like skirt away. We'd be like, <laughs> and we would like laugh and then like try and do it again and would like skirt away again. And it became this like sort of tag game. So we were like running, running away from this man. Yeah. And then like he like had a tumble because he was trying to break dance. He's like, let this me show you. Very, oh very intoxicated. 50 year old white oh very white God. man was trying to like <laughs> break it down and we were like oh wow. no like to do a break dancing move oh. like smokes his he head smokes on the, the ground so hard we're like oh no <laughs> like little pulpit and we're like oh are you okay sir? like obviously like we do take like the safety of clients seriously and that so we're like are you okay and he like bounces back up and he's like laughing so hard and we're like maybe i was like Mexico. and i was like maybe we just we sit down have some drinks so then we like yeah like have some water yeah so we like give him a bottle of water and we're just like sitting there and like all of us like knee to knee like it's so funny sitting like crisscross applesauce yeah yeah crisscross applesauce oh use your water that is so funny. So like those nights are like nice and we're like happily surprised at the end of the night that we're like, we generally were like, our faces hurt from laughing and smiling so much. And like, you know, the clients leaving, like having had like a great night with you. Those are kind of like the most like surprising, the weird request. They don't surprise me no more. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess like, obviously not tipping. That's like a huge thing saying disrespectful things. Don't do that. But are there any things that patrons might not know is actually obnoxious or disrespectful that they should be educated on? Well, well, well. (laughs) And they be doing it. (laughs) Don't sit at the front row if you're not going to tip. Tip a dancer, each dancer, at least like a couple dollars. Um, Here, like the lowest bill is $5. What else is there? Don't make comments about the other dancers. Like so many times people all the time men will come up to me and be like you're prettier than her your boobs are better blah 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 you're the hottest girl you're the hottest girl here it's like 
why can't I just see your hot and stop? You got great boobs and stop. Like you don't need to like compare me against other women. I'm not comparing myself against them. Like I don't give two fucks. I hope they do well. So like it doesn't like inflate my ego to be like the hottest one out of all these bitches. Like I don't, I'm just not like that. So usually my retort back will just be like, actually they're all, they all have great breasts or like, they're all really beautiful here, aren't they? Like check yourself. So that like, you're not, you just look like an asshole when you like try to put girls up against each other. Backhanded compliments too. Like, oh, you're actually really smart Mm -hmm. or I didn't think that I would have a good conversation with you. It's just like, it's what you're saying is like, you don't think much of strippers. Yeah. You're the bar was on the floor for what you thought we'd be like. Yeah. Don't yeah. like respect the boundaries. Like if the club is a, like a lot of the club, like for in Alberta where how it used to be, I don't know how it is now. I haven't worked there in a while in Fort Mac, but if the, you can't be contact with the person, you can't sit on their lap if anything is exposed. So as soon as you take your top off, you're doing air dances, take your bottom off, you're doing air dances. And then a lot of clubs here are no contact dances. So while they are full new dances, you cannot be touching the dancers. So if that's the rule of the club and it's expressed to you, respect it. Don't argue with your dancer. Like, you know, you're making her uncomfortable and it's not her say, it's the club saying you're going to cost her her job and you're sure as hell not going to pay her her annual income. So don't like disrespect the boundaries. Each dancer has her own boundaries as well. Like I don't like ever someone trying to spank me or like anything like that at work. I find that like men for the most part, I find in the club don't know how to spank appropriately. And they like try to leave welts or something and I'm just not about it. So oh God. yeah, I don't like men trying to like spank me, things like that. Don't touch a dancer on the main floor. Like guys will grab your arm and I'll be like, don't fucking touch me. Or like, they'll try to grab your ass, like things like that. Like it's really just like yeah. basic human decency. Like it shouldn't be this hard to like think of like, would you do that to an average person walking on the street? No, then don't fucking do it in the strip club. <laughs> I'm going to rail up some more yeah. as well. That goes yeah, we have that. a lot. You yes. have <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Don't compare, like as Danica said, you know, every dancer has their own boundaries. So don't, like if another dancer has crossed whatever the club rules are and has let you do something, don't then go to another dancer and say, oh, well, she let me do it. And don't lie as well and say, you know, like that girl gave me X amount of dances for X amount. Like I know she didn't because with that math, she's walking out with nothing. And yeah. I know she ain't giving your like her task dan- like dances for free. Also, if I don't ask dancers for their real names because, you know, we use them for safety and security, like we don't want to be found. So do not try and find us and don't ask us what our other job is. Like, I don't go into your accounting office and ask if you do anything else, you know, like this is my real job and it should be recognized <laughs> as so such. True. But also like to yeah. like, what's your real name? Like I'm, I, I read this somewhere on the internet a while back. I'm going to start using it. Every time they ask for my real name, I'm like, what's your wife's phone number? Oh, we ain't trusting each other. Okay. It's a one way street like that. Like fuck out of here. Usually I'll just, I'll make up another name. I'm like, oh, it's Sarah. Yeah. And then they'll be like, that's not your name. I'm like, okay, well, what name do you want then? Because no matter what name I give you, yeah, no matter what name I give you, you're going to think it's fucking fake. So like, what is my yeah. name, sir? Like, please tell me my you name. You tell me then. Yeah. yeah. Truly, I've only ever had one customer that has asked me to change my name. He's like, my son's name is Riley. Can we switch it up? And I was like, Renee. Also, if you are especially a woman in the strip club, Ugh. do not be making out with your man when you're at Perv Row because it distracts from the dancers. No one is here. This is not your like home moment. Do not be like dancing. Unless like the dancer is like engaging with you. Don't be flashing your tits or twerking by the stage. Like you don't work here. Sit your ass down. Yeah. Do not be screaming and wooing. Like that doesn't pay our bills. Throw some damn money. 
and definitely don't be groping girls like it's okay because you're a girl yeah they honestly often female patrons are like cis like like female patrons are the worst typically wow they really do think like screaming at the top of their lungs helps anyone it doesn't it's annoying (laughs) and you know throw money if you're gonna be like that and also like don't try to be like the cool girlfriend if you're not the cool girlfriend meaning you want to go to the strip club with your boyfriend pretty much just keep eyes on him and make sure he doesn't get dances so if you didn't want to get dances here, like get them together, get dances together if you're comfortable with that. If you are here just to like safeguard your boyfriend, then just go somewhere else. Like it's, you're making it uncomfortable for the dancers who are trying to do their job by selling dances. Yeah. And trust us, we do not want your fucking man <laughs> ever, <Yeah. laughs> like, ever. Yeah. I feel like I have to go on the record and say, I'm so glad to know, like I haven't done those things because I was like, am I anno- an annoying female patron? And I'm like, okay, I'm not groping people. I'm not screaming. I am tipping. I also am like, I can't imagine getting up and being like, I'm going to twerk. I'm like, what do I have on these dancers? Like who would want to watch me when they're like professionals around? That's crazy. And like, unfortunately, it's not just women that think they can dance. The amount of like (laughs) men that like clear a space on the floor and like start dancing. Like (laughs) it's so painful. Like I literally, I remember this one time, this guy like cleared the floor and I don't know what the fuck he was trying to do. It looked like he was having a seizure. I was borderline. Like, is anyone going to call the call 911? This man is not okay. And he was just like going to town. And this, I'm like, kind of like sitting at the bar, like leaning on the bar, watching this guy, just like highlight of my night. And then, um, this guy's like, Hey, can we go for dance? I'm like, just wait. <laughs> it's my turn to be entertained for a moment. Yeah, like I, I'm watching this. I want to see the ending. Like I want to see the group fact grand finale, but yeah, it's, it's pretty bad. It's and then the other guy that came to you. Oh yeah. I had a guy like come up to me. He's like, dance. he's like, I think I'm going to audition. And he's like doing all these like weird body rolls and, and, things. <laughs> and he's like, do you think? I, and I was like, Oh man, like good luck. And he's like, what? So you could dance. And I was like, and literally, yeah. literally, yes. Literally, professional stripper. Literally, like, what do you think pays my bills? <laughs> you are confused. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It's so funny. I just feel like so many people probably like get in there and they're like intoxicated by the vibe and they're like, I could definitely be recruited and I could do this too. And it's like, no, you probably can't. Like, I feel like the majority of people can't. Yeah. yeah. Also, like <laughs> random 20 year old boy, I don't think a full female club will be hiring you. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like there's not like recruiters for like Chippendales, so you're wasting your time. Yeah, yeah, it was. Didn't even come on ladies' night, which we do have male strippers. (laughs) Yeah, you gotta know your audience. Yeah, like at least get the night right. Like, come on. Yeah, (laughs) truly. It does not show organizational skills, and that is something that you need as a stripper. (laughs) Yes, yes, 100%. So I love two of the pieces of advice that you gave because I feel like they actually transcend really well into dating. And one of them, which I was actually gonna bring up because I loved it from your 100th episode, where you said like you shouldn't give a compliment that puts someone else down. And I feel like so often that happens with like straight men complimenting women. Like I'll just touch on this example quickly. Like even with the bachelor recently, like there was this guy and he's like, you're not like other women. Like all the girls in Miami are so high maintenance. And I feel like, so like he probably assumed she was going to be like, Oh my God, like he doesn't think I'm high maintenance. And instead she checked him and she's like, what do you mean by that? Like what makes someone high maintenance? And like, why do you need to generalize a whole population of women? Which I loved. And also similarly, like the backhanded compliments, it's like anytime someone tries to neg you and like thinks that's going to make you work harder to like earn their affection or something, whatever weird psychology is behind that. It's just so gross and Mm -hmm. (laughs) off-putting. Truly men. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. 
So I guess I would love to hear like how your profession has impacted like your approach to dating and like, I guess just in the sense of, you know, a lot of it is courtship in a sense when you're trying to like convince a customer to like pay for a dance or when you're engaging with a customer during the dance. So like, do you feel like any of that has transcended into like your flirting style or like as you're dating or like in the early stages of getting to know someone who you're romantically interested in? I have a pretty strong rule that I would never date somebody at like that I met through work because I'm so vastly different at work and my hustling style is so different at work than it is like in my personal life. Also, like you hear the worst of the worst when you're at the strip club, like that man will say anything to you. And so like, I also don't want a guy that I know like acts this way in a strip club. You know? Yeah. I think mostly the, just the confidence of like being as Danica said, like unapologetically me, I definitely like either on the first date or before the first date, I've been very clear that I am a stripper and is what I do. And that is not going to change because like everyone thinks it's fun to fuck a stripper. No one thinks it's fun to date a stripper. Like the gleam really runs up quickly. And then three months down the track, they're wondering why you haven't quit. Wait, or, why are you still a whore? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or they like don't trust you in the strip club somehow anymore, or they say they're okay with it. And then once you get in a fight, it's the first thing that they throw in your face. So I think my approach to dating is being like, listen, if you don't agree with me being a dancer, then this is just fundamentally not going to work. We're not going to agree on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Yeah. I definitely do encourage for those of, for those in the industry that are out, if they're trying to like be in the dating scene to have it come up pretty early on that you're a sex worker, because like I always say, like, it's like the trash taking itself out, like how they respond to that. Like it's going to save you so much time. And like Riley just said too, it's like, I say often, like if we disagree with me using my body, how I want to, and sex workers rights and, and labor laws for us and all those fundamental things that to my core, I have fought for and am very proud of. We are going to disagree on so many things long-term that there's no like happy ending for us already. Like I can already tell you, like that's not going to go that way. And I am far past the point of having to do any emotional labor for men that they should do on their own. And I am not raising any more children, which I feel like most of my twenties, I was like raising little like man babies. <laughs> like, and yeah, like, it's like yeah. your mom, should, your parents should have done this. Like, this is not my job. Yeah. I'm not doing that no more. I think it also says a lot about how they view a relationship with a woman in like an ownership sense. Mm -hmm. Like I think that people feel, and I'm saying people who are typically in like monogamous relationships feel like they own your sexuality or your sexual being or those parts of you. And I think that ownership or like you having to share it or you flirting with other men, it's like a woman can use her body, her mind, her humor, her wit, anything in a job. Like why does the sexuality just have to belong to you? Yeah, that's a great point. And it's like, even if you're in a relationship and like someone happens to, I don't know, like you're going to have like a flirty exchange with someone, like it can be benign and it doesn't mean that you value your relationship any less or that the relationship is in jeopardy. So I love that. I met my partner, like, well, we'd known each other for years and then he came into the strip club one day and I don't think he actually recognized me at the first point, but I was like, <laughs> as I saw him, I was like, I remember you. I also knew that he like had money. So I was like, hey. <laughs> and after, like, yeah, I was like, we should go for dance. And we went for like 
bunch of dancing. I'm just like sitting talking the whole time. And he tipped me very well. And like we joke about it all the time on the podcast. I am very like money focused. I'm very much like a hustler mentality. If I'm not making money, I'm figuring out ways to make money. I admire that in partners, like very like hardworking, money focused. And I am old school in the sense where like I appreciate the man paying for the dates and like all that stuff when I'm with a male. Um, female, I still would like her. <laughs> but yeah, that was like a big reason why I was like, okay, like, I already liked him, but now I'm like, I'm interested in this being something more because he spent so much money on me. And when he wanted to go on dates on nights that I was working, he would like pay for me to take that night off. And he like really showed the value of like my job is how I make my money and I'm not going to like not make money because you want me to be there for you. So that was like, that was a big part. That was the only way I would have dated someone from seeing them in the club was because I already knew like him when we were younger. It wasn't like our first meeting and because he was like very respectful of the club and spent a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, that's very considerate to pay for the time that you have to take off and like just to acknowledge the impact that that has on your life and your profession. That's great. Yeah, I think that's part that's like very missed in our work as well. Like at least where we work because I'm a VIP dancer, I can go in whenever I want. For private parties, like I apply for the jobs that I want when I want. So I'm very much in control of my own schedule and it has become a sense of tension in some people that I've dated because they have a nine to five they have to be in and then they want to do something. And I've already planned to work that night because those were my nights scheduled and they don't understand why, because it's a choice, I can just not go in. It's like you would never ask that of someone who was on call. Like these are your nights on call and if work comes up, you go. And it's just like shows sort of the the value of where they put like straight jobs or square jobs and where they put your job. 100%. Even like outside of like the romantic relationships, even like friendships, I miss a lot of like friends' birthday parties because they're on like a Friday, Saturday night and, you know, they ask me to come. And I'm like, I can't guarantee I'll be there because I'm going to pick up a shift. Or I'm going to go to a gig if their one comes up. And they're like, for my birthday, I'm like, I would never ask you, especially the amount of money we make, like you would have to lose two weeks of work. Like, are you going to take off two weeks of work for my birthday? Like, yeah. no, ma'am, you're not. So yeah. I'm not going to guarantee that I'm off that night because... It's yeah. also you would just never ask, like... Anyone I else mean, lose depends, money. Yeah, it depends, like, how close of a friend or, or relationship you are. But, like, if you worked a, a nine-to-five job and I, I wanted to do my birthday on a Wednesday at noon, I would never be like, can you call in sick or can you take the <laughs> day off work? Like, yeah. why would yeah. I use one of my, like... Like I schedule myself just as anyone else does. You just don't see it that way. Like I still want to work X amount of times per week. And that is my schedule. And I will do it as much as I can to like navigate around that. But if you're choosing to do it on a Friday, Saturday night, where those are like my main work nights, like I schedule me around you as well. Like, yeah, that makes total sense. I love that analogy because I do think it's like hard for people who work nine to five jobs to think of the weekend as anything other than like, oh, this is the time when we can socialize where it's like, no, actually, depending on the industry you work in, that's like your busiest time. So definitely. I always say like nine to five people like prioritize themselves because that's where all the bank holidays, you get the day and lose, like you get all of the days off. It's like a lot, like I would say the majority of people do not work a nine to five. Like you have servers, you have like Industry like that, that, like yeah. truly anywhere. It's like you're already benefiting from the way that the week is set up. That's true. Yeah, a hundred percent. It definitely is a huge privilege in a lot of ways. Well, okay. I wanted to wrap up, but before I let you go, I wanted to just do kind of like rapid fire with some quick questions for you to both answer, and then want to close up with you plugging where people can find your podcast and all of that good stuff. So, 
First question. I feel like I can guess what your favorite shift to work is. You know, we just said weekends are pretty great. Is there a shift where you're like, I absolutely do not want to work this time? Weekends are my shifts that I don't want to work. Mm. They're the worst. Oh, okay. Yeah. Weekdays are typically better, I find. The reason being, I mean, this is like a secret. The dancers know, the other people don't. Uh, <laughs> keep it just between us three. <laughs> um, the weekends are typically your people that just want to go and get shit faced with their friends. So they're not necessarily there for the actual entertainment and to buy dances as opposed to like a Monday night or a Tuesday night, the people that are coming into a strip club are there for what the strip club actually offers. So I find that those are my best nights typically. Yeah. I mean, I say that like Friday and Saturday are the main work nights because they're the busiest. They're the ones that like multiple private parties are coming up. So you could do like three back to back. They're the ones that like, you know, the club is going to be, pretty busy, like at least pre COVID and, you know, sort of post COVID too, they're going to be pretty busy. So it's going to be a lot more work of like one dance, one dance, one dance. And you don't have to rely on the, like the one customer, but you definitely get more of the one customers on like, I like it on Monday, Tuesday as well. Mm, Okay. Okay. So I was totally off. That makes sense though. That's such an interesting insight into what it's actually like day to day. All right. So next question, what is your favorite song to dance to if you have one or just a standout song? I like Paloma Faith, Never Tear Us Apart. I like a slow, like with a good beat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, or Nah, I like. Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. It's, it's sexy. Very, <laughs> or my very type. Sexy. My, yeah. My type by Sweetie was like my number one played song this year. Oh, yeah, that I, is such a fun one. Yeah. So those are like the two opposites of my like dancing personality. <laughs> it truly really depends what for like a stage set or like a show. I like it. My end song to be Paloma, but like for a lap dance, I like Elastic at the moment. Yeah. Elastic's a killer. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So, so too much. <laughs> 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 Very <and> short. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> if we're nothing, if not strategic. <laughs> yeah. The theme of the episode. <laughs> truly. Okay. What is the outfit or item that you feel sexiest in? I always do bodysuits, like one pieces, anything with like low back I like and high on the hips because I am like a very hourglass shape. I have like a large boobs and large butt that like anything that hits at my actual natural waist will be the most flattering on me. So yeah, like a a bodysuit that hits at my waist is always my go-to. At the moment, like fishnet shorts. With like a thong on top. Ooh, fishnet shorts. Oh my God, that sounds so fun. Okay, love that, love that. And then the last question is, is there one standout like crazy thing that a customer has done or that you've seen at the club that you will never forget that is like above the rest? I've seen a guy get like nailed in the face with a shoe before. That was pretty good. She was like dancing on stage and like, obviously there's different types of shoes. like. You can have the ones that go around your ankle that like tighten around the ankle, have security. She did not. <laughs> and uh, oh. she was doing something on the pole and her shoe like flew off and like smoked this guy in Pervro. And then he got like oh, free God. drinks all night. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty good. Uh-huh. I was like, get him. <laughs> Throw the other one. <laughs> That's a warning to yeah. all of you. They, yeah, they look over at me. I have my shoes in my hand. I'm like, are you doing this? <laughs> like, it's like one of those like choose your character. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm like ready. I'm like, yeah. I'm, like I'm like in Street Fighter stance. Yeah. I'm like, eh. <laughs> oh my god, it's our time. <laughs> <laughs> 
truly like we've seen it all like I can't even pinpoint things I've heard of like guys bringing in like a bucket of grapes for like grapes for like women to like step on so that they can like take home and eat I've had guys like just guys wanting to be like whipped or like stood on or degraded or like have their card taken off them and like spend it like fin doming financial domination I remember my girlfriend back in Alberta had a client who loved his balls getting kicked Mm. oh wow so he would like sit on the lap dance chair and then like have his balls kind of like over the the seat so like it was like the end of his seat the balls Uh, and then she would kick his balls against the seat and then one time she like broke her heel straight off (gasps) kicked it so hard yeah she said that he's like gone to the doctor to make sure like all's good there in those little sackies and like they're good (laughs) so like yeah wild wow wow that guy is resilient very very (laughs) resilient (laughs) honestly at the end of the day like i have a saying where it's like I don't yuck someone's yum. So like as long as it is between consenting adults, those are my two stipulations. It has to be consenting and they have to be adults. I don't care how many people you are having involved in your sex life, who you're involving, as long as they're adults, what, how many holes you're using, what toys you're using. If you're, you know, eating feces or whatever the fuck you're into, like all the power to you. Just pay your service provider absorbent amounts of money. <laughs> <laughs> yes, definitely. Like pay for the service that you want done. Absolutely. Well, I feel like I could talk to you ladies all day, but I know obviously your time is very valuable. I really appreciate all of the insights that you've given so far, and I'm sure that people will want to hear more. So can you please plug where they can find your podcast? Yeah. So if you want to hear more about the strip club etiquette specifically, I'd recommend the episode 96. It's called Strip Club Etiquette Patron Edition. At the 57 minute mark, we start talking about like, these are all things y'all fuckers should do and not do. (laughs) So (laughs) definitely check that out if you, if you really want to get more into a deep dive into the patron etiquette of strip clubs. Aside from that, 50 plus a tip on Instagram. So that's five zero plus a tip. And then our email is five zero plus a tip at gmail.com. We're also slowly getting on Twitter at 50 plus a tip.com. Fifty plus tip on Twitter. So can you tell this is the first time that I've done this. <laughs> we're working <laughs> on her. First Twitter. Yeah, we're working on her. Um, <laughs> yeah, we have TikTok too, which is also oh. obviously fifty plus a tip. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Okay, I'm definitely gonna follow you on TikTok. We post just like the audios, clips yeah. of our episodes. We were gonna like really get behind it and start making our own videos, and then we did that, and it, it was very <laughs> regrettable. So yeah. <laughs> I personally have a lot of thoughts on TikTok, so I can only imagine. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, pretty much everything 50 plus a tip is, yeah, where you'll find it. You'll find us. Amazing. I'll plug it all in the show notes and thank you so much. And as always, for the listeners, you can find my show at Interstates and Heartbreak on Instagram, or you can find me at Leslie Nope, L-E-S-L-I-E-G-N-O-P-E. Thank you. Let's be exclusive. Subscribe to Interstates and Heartbreak wherever you listen to podcasts for more firsthand stories about the unglamorous side of dating in Los Angeles. And while you're at it, you can write me a love letter with a rating and review on Apple. See you next Sunday.